Welcome to the Yoga Addiction. If you're a yoga teacher or student who wants a deeper understanding of yoga with respect to science, health, and longevity, this podcast is for you. Every week, we'll dive deep into a topic to help you be a better yogi, teacher, and communicator. We want to give you a practical understanding of the current science related to yoga and help you create quality, safe, and inspired classes, whether they are for yourself at home or for your students. I'm Natalie Sanger. And I'm Sandy Hewen. We look forward to you taking part in our conversations. Okay, so today on The Yoga Addiction, um, I'm just here solo without Sandy. This is Nat. Um, and we're talking, well, I am talking rather, to my friend Hero. Um, Hero Prince was on episode 17 with us. He talked about the differences between restorative yoga and yin yoga and gave us a lot of really interesting information about that. So if you want to get to know more about him, you can check out episode 17. Um, and today we're going to talk about, well, what are we talking about, Hero? You you messaged me and you were emotional and you're like, I want to talk. So I said, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> hi, everybody. Uh, and hi, Matt. Thanks for the intro. So I messaged Nat about something that was really troubling and also inspiring at the same time with the life of being a struggling yoga teacher in the public drop-in studio industry as a whole, as well as just trying to make a living and uh, an ethical living economically as a teacher as well. And that specific thing I was talking about is how yoga is not fitness and how the industry has over the last decade and coming has really shifted the mindset of the general public that yoga is something different than what it was technically intended for in terms of its 5,000 plus year old lineage from India and the frustration of trying to be authentic and stay in the way of what we as teachers feel is authentic to us and feeling misinterpreted or not feeling as of value compared to other peers that might be more successful based on what they can offer to these clientele, these businesses, or just keeping up with the times, I guess is a easy way to say it too. So you're measuring when you say success, um, just as, as more on the business front, like the amount of classes a teacher um, is offered to teach, or maybe the amount of studentship in their class. Is that what you mean by that? That's definitely part of it, Nat, for sure. And I think part of it, in addition to that, which is a great thing that you mentioned, it, is the ability to feel accepted and appreciated um, for being different and being perhaps not stuck in just teaching physical practice or asana, as most of us might know it as. And if we are not certified or passionate about athletic vinyasa-oriented yoga, not saying that all vinyasa yoga teachers teach in that way, but a lot do or think from the physical body, it can be challenging for teachers that maybe think in addition to that and are not valued or seen. And therefore, as you pointed out, making it harder to acquire a greater class base and following and also people that understand you and therefore how much you might earn and sustainably make as a teacher. Yeah, so I I have I feel your feels 100%. Um and I have so many questions that kind of are conversational pieces that can stem off from this. Um I look at so from my perspective, I look at yoga. I respect the tradition of yoga, but I've 
definitely left a lot of the pieces that I feel I can't reconcile with science because I am a scientist. Um, I've left them to the side. Not to say that they're not useful, but I'm I I make question some of it. Um, and then I don't teach the things that don't feel authentic to me. That's just my personal stuff. Well, I think everyone should do that. Don't don't fake it. Don't fake it. Just be yourself, no, right? You know, um, when, sorry, I want to say something about that. Because when you say don't fake it, when people say um, fake it till you make it, I think that is the worst phrase that anyone could ever say, even if the intention is meaning to be well. Don't you think? I, yeah, I want to barf in my mouth when people say that. Like <laughs> When people say fake it till you make it, right? Especially like newer teachers, I say, listen, honey don't teach something that you don't feel comfortable with. And if you don't feel ready to share something, then don't share it. But don't put yourself in a place of sharing a practice of yoga and think that there's something wrong with you if you're not ready to share it yet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that faking it till you make it type stuff, um, it just gives me, it just, my nervous system, I don't, I can't handle that. I can't pretend to do something. I can, I can challenge myself. That's different, but it. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think when we're talking about like basically what you're talking about, the, the physicality of classes, um, there's the main question I think is like, are we even teaching yoga in studios? And I really wonder also if this differs between cities and more rural areas, but we'll, we'll talk with this respect to cities right now because you and I live in um, kind of bigger ish cities. Mm -hmm. So are we even, should we even be calling the studio a yoga studio or maybe an asana studio? Like, is that just false advertising? Mm -hmm. I think it's a great thing you point out. Cause when I say to people when they say, Oh, I'm going to yoga. I'm like, no, you're not. You're going to, you're going, you're going to a physical exercise practice that is labeled yoga because there might be more connection to the way of breath and body and scarily enough a lot of teachers are not connected to that so having mm -hmm. it called even like stretch there are that takes out the entirety of what the spiritual lineage or the components of the eight limbs of yoga compromise yoga and beyond right so i think if we said this is an asana studio then it's like well what's asana and then you focus on that one small itty bit that people have not commoditized as oh i'm a yoga master because i can put my toe behind my asshole on instagram like <laughs> Seriously, when the hell did that become yoga and then debilitate people like you and I that are really truthful to who we are? And even if people might throw their fingers up at us, I'm like, don't do that. Don't judge us. You don't know what we go through. Yeah, well, I think those people just have to be completely ignored. If someone comes to you and saying this, says that you're not a teacher of yoga because you don't practice or you don't teach um uh, practice with extreme ranges of motion and extremely physical that's something you just have to be like okay that's what you think or maybe just in <laughs> educate them a little bit yeah you just to the side yeah just say namaste you sexy bitch now get on your mat <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> we'll <go> for you <laughs> exactly well here's the thing is like when i if I come across someone 
I don't think anyone's ever said that to me or I've never had those conversations, but I, I know people who think that and I've just probably chosen not to engage with them. Mm-hmm, but I kind of use my my yoga skills, what I've what I've learned, um, and I can, I don't know. I feel like since I did my second teacher training, it almost gave me like an X-ray vision into people's psychology a little bit. Um, and there's, I have an ability when I'm clear enough to just like look at a person and they're kind of like being dogmatic about saying something is the way it is. And I can see like, okay, they are going to need to practice this way until potentially and unfortunately they injure themselves and then they'll be forced to slow down and maybe pick up on breathing, meditation, yamas, niyamas, all the other stuff, right? So it's like they're at a place in their practice where that's what they think it is and that's kind of okay Um, but if you're a studio owner and you're saying that physical, extremely physical asana is yoga and that's how we teach and you need to be more, a more physical teacher, then that's a whole different story. Yeah, very much so. And there have been many situations, I would say in the last period of time where these discussions have come up and have brushed up against my integrity, morals and values and ethics as a teacher. Because especially when a lot of the time we are giving ourselves so much to the heart of what we care about, and not all teachers do, they just come in and they're an instructor. You know, so when people say, oh, you're a yoga instructor, I'm like, hold your thought. Semantics aside, I'm a teacher. And here's why. You know, and it's very straightforward for uh, fitness and yoga professionals to teach um, or instruct movement and breath, maybe just movement, depending on who you talk to. But when it comes to honoring your practice and really about yoga in my philosophy about being inclusive, and that could also contradict the fact that asana should be inclusive, even if others don't always identify with it, depending on who you talk to. The idea of inclusivity, I think, needs to be even further extended in the professional industry of yoga to welcome and to empower people who are perhaps doing something a little bit different and actually realize there's a maybe a financial benefit to that or also to endorse and to promote people that are doing something different in addition to those that might be more organically cookie cutter or mainstream, right? Because some people are that way and that's just who they are. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I've never experienced being a studio owner. Um, It just is very unfortunate because it comes down to the numbers, right? It totally does. That's because it's a business and yoga is not meant to be a freaking business. And yet we are in the trenches of it and we're endorsing it ourselves. So it's kind of like a walking paradox. Yeah. And although yoga, like you say, yoga is not meant to be a business, certainly when you're talking about the tradition of it, like people were not accepting pay a long time ago um Mm -hmm. probably at a certain point in time they did well obviously they did but also you are or we are passing on something of value so we do have the right to accept pay i think that's like a whole like so many teachers grapple with that one Mm -hmm. thing in and of itself oh i think so and i think 
when it comes to being compensated appropriately, you got to think about, you know, what you're putting in and where you're putting out. And I think when you take anything as an industry, um, which yoga is beyond an industry now, if you even want to call it yoga, based on what we're talking about in this discussion, it's um, very empowering and equally disheartening, I think, for teachers that are connected from the roots of what they believe is their perception of what this practice and this lineage represents. So then when you add in the business and the studio side and having been partially in management myself on that side, numbers do add up. But I guess for me, call me naive, I think authenticity and supporting and educating the demographics that might be drawn to your space is part of it too. And I think that's being very underrepresented and not being given enough attention to for people that do stand out and that are actually doing something that would make that studio be even more premium because they have something that others don't. Yeah, I agree with you. Like you can't, or I, I, I disagree with the, the owner wanting to only offer workshops or special things or offer teachers in certain practices that fit into a mold, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I see yoga as a, it's like a weird spherical scientific spectrum to me. <laughs> it's like there's so much going on. <laughs> like you can just teach um, the nervous system stuff. And that, I mean, everything you do, you're involving the nervous system, but you can really just teach from a perspective of calming the nervous system or nervous system regulation. Um, Mm -hmm. The more gentle practices, restorative, um, yin sometimes, depending Mm -hmm. how you feel in a yin class. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But it's true that yin can also be very much like that too. Yeah. Um, And I know teachers in different municipalities or or communities actually some in the states where they say their restorative classes are their biggest classes exactly what are you and do you have i'm curious to know your instinctual insights as to why you think that might be oh because people need it and they're like they it takes them a while to get there um uh, it's interesting. Like, I it'd be very interesting to see if you had a studio that just offered um, more like a gentle hatha um, and then some restorative classes versus a studio that offers more physical classes, um, not necessarily like a vigorous vinyasa, but more hatha, standard hatha and stuff like that. And then they have some restorative sprinkled in to see which studios restoratives got more studentship because I, I find for myself and the people that I've talked to, it's taken them a while to get there. Like the, the more physical part of yoga comes first and then the restorative comes after. Um, and that's kind of what I was saying, like when I'm talking or hearing from this person who's doing an extremely vigorous practice, extremely physical, probably, um, overextending and flexing their joints um, and they think that's the way it should be I'm kind of looking at them well like okay yeah you will you'll you'll go down your path and eventually I'll see you in a restorative class mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so is is it like do you need both do you need both of those types of practices in the same studio to complement one another 
Yeah, I think in terms of the market in Vancouver in the lower mainland, I do know a couple of studios that do offer what you were describing and based on their location and their demographic and their age demographic as well, uh, it suits those demographics. And that's exactly my point is that more and more and more people are realizing that whether they're looking for something in the physical body or not, our physical bodies are being utilized anyway, because that's how they are. That's we can't control not using our physical body. That's how we were made. And so when we automatically eliminate the subconsciousness below us of what we lead with, then it doesn't allow for a full experience. Even if you're teaching or practicing a, even in a Shtanga class or a, a fiery flow or a hatha or whatever label you want to put on the title of the class when it comes to restorative or yin or let's just say for as a blanket term less physically demanding or as i like to call myself a non-asana oriented teacher that's how i describe my my brand um I've always been frustrated never to see a peak time that would consider more likeliness of people coming and putting a style that might be less ordinary um, in that time. So, for example, if a studio had a peak time in a corporate setting and they, they know people are coming at 5 or 6 p.m. before they go home for dinner. Sure, maybe those people have been working out in a gym in their corporate office, or maybe they have a separate practice that's aside their yoga practice. Maybe they come to lunchtime for a hot class or for a flow or even for a, a Pilates or a spin class. But what about the demographic that doesn't actually, A, want to shower or have to do, worry about their physical presentation after they have to go back to work or go home? And what about the people that are tired and that actually are your age or my age, and that actually just want a place to rest and to reboot before their actual workday is finished. It seems so obvious to me, and yet so minimal places even consider the idea. Or if they do consider it, they never implement it or even try it. They don't even give mm-hmm. it. Yeah, they- like, oh, that's such a good point. Like, just a five o'clock restorative, just right after work, just cruising there. Or 5.30, depending on when your work hours are. An hour of restorative. Even like if you did 45 minutes, like for people who want to get home and make dinner. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, I think it's the value of it definitely is not recognized. And when things are tight, like when real estate or your lease prices are so high and you're especially in a downtown area, taking those chances is it can be big, so I, I understand the studio perspective, but so do I. I used to teach on the North Shore um, a class, a small studio, just a one single studio, not like a chain. And I was doing a vinyasa class, or no, I think it was called the Flow. I think it was called Slow Flow. It was nice, nice pace. Um, and I'd get, I don't know, like it would vary from like five to 10. It was a a smaller studio. I think it could only fit like 15 or something. Sure. And then after that was a restorative, I think a seven and that one was always maxed out. Like often you'd have, they'd have to wait list for it because people always wanted to (laughs) hit that class up. Um, and that studio owner was having issues with, with figuring out what to put 
when, but mm-hmm. they were they were trying, like they were trying it out and trying different things. Um, but yeah, even to kind of maybe switch the two and give people the opportunity to get there before dinner, right after work, and then yeah, no, I f- I feel I feel your pain for sure. Um, it's really interesting that we were talking about yoga studios and it's maybe maybe the more correct language is is to say asana studio, yeah, because uh, exactly. there's. One place I know of, if not more, but one that I definitely know of in Vancouver, I believe it's in the Gastown area, maybe. It's, I think there's like a meditation studio. I think yeah, there, a, there is. A couple, yeah, a couple of teachers put that together. Is it still going? Do you know? I feel like that was a couple year or two ago that I looked into that. I never went, mm-hmm. but I believe they had little half hour time slots, something like that for meditation. They did. Yeah. I. That's a really good question. Let me... I mean, considering with technology, uh, no, it says permanently closed actually. So maybe perhaps not anymore. Bummer. Yeah. So, but, but that's yes. Example. Yeah. They tried it at least, but why wouldn't you call that a yoga studio? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, even the conversation we're having right now is the most yogic practice that you can have, which is being undivided with your attention and giving your full focus to one moment of time. And that's what yoga is about. So when people say to me, even coming back to the general thing, Oh, you're a yoga teacher. You know, I I can't practice yoga. And I said, did you realize you're actually practicing yoga right now? And they look at me saying, no, I'm not. And I'll say you are as yoga is from these context and these frameworks and the way that the general public has been bastardized and has been brainwashed is to think that yoga is all about a facade of physical beauty and physical um, capability. And even if it might have a component of that, when we look at it as yoga as a product, as opposed to yoga as a practice, um, we start to discriminate our own capacity with self-limiting beliefs and yoga is about breaking those beliefs so we can actually be more embodied in who we are. That doesn't mean we're saints. Fuck that. I'm no saint. But we can find the balance of being human while also honoring a lineage that we have invested our time and some of us our entire life into as a way of living, a way of giving, and a way of making a living, depending on which angle we go from that. And it's really frustrating with how fitness, when we're talking about, are they yoga studios? Are they asana studios? And, you know, don't even get me started about, you know, boutique studios that say, oh, let's add yoga and we'll give a framework to it. We'll give a a signature identity to that. So that way it's differentiating from the mass competitors around us. And I think that's actually a really great thing to do. I'm not criticizing that. What I'm saying about that is that know what you're doing and if you know what you're doing realize how it's only making the problem worse for people that are connected deeply to what yoga in our perception again um, and it depends what is we're actually sharing from how we were educated and what means something for us and then again it becomes fitness even if it might be more physically led or maybe even guided less physically in the body it's still fitness because people come into the mindset that they think it's a fitness class even if they call it yoga hence i think the term yoga needs to be really revisited in terms of how the majority of places coin the term yeah no i i I definitely hear you there um i'm wondering like 
So if you have a class that's physical and the teacher isn't necessarily teaching to something more more traditional, um, but it's like in their words and, and the process of the class that they are really cueing the person into being super mindful about X, Y, and Z, something within themselves, something like a thought process, even just like physically, like a physical something, would you see that as practicing yoga? Yes, I would see it that way. And some people might say, well, Hiro, you just said the opposite. It's about the intention for why someone is sharing something. And sometimes that's blurred because we don't know what someone's intentions are versus our perception of what we think they're sharing. And it might not actually be what they were intended to share. But there have been times even in the last month where I have, you know, gotten a two week trial at a new studio here, or a month path past there. And so therefore I've had minimal access to actually being in a public environment and knowing that, oh, okay, I've done quite a few vinyasa oriented classes with vinyasa based teachers this week. But what I was really happy to see is how mindful and slow they were cueing and also what they were intending to do and that it wasn't about achievement. It wasn't about perfection and it wasn't about performance. It was about the lineage that it comes from. And I think that's the difference is that if you're teaching from the lineage that it originates from, as opposed to turning it into something that it's not meant to be, then I think that's what makes the most difference, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, yeah, that that clarifies things for me. Um, So you're speaking to like when you are calling yoga asana more fitness related, it's the classes that are really kind of pushing you through as many poses as possible. Um, I think of them to be more towards like gymnastics, if every if anything, the the bodies that are in there have a lot of mobility um so some people straight up can't do those classes and it might be a teacher who doesn't offer a lot of if you can't do this then do this or stage one here stage two there however you want to put it mm-hmm. um movement might be so fast that you can't really catch your breath so there's not mindfulness towards how your breath is moving and really in the physical practice there's not a ton of um, attention to any physical parts, but it's more about just making the shape. Yes. Yes. Okay. There is that for sure. And also because I do come from a background of being trained in trauma sensitive yoga and in skeletal variation from the therapeutic end. And because I can draw from different modalities, which may not be from yoga, but can be blended uh, and still be authentically in the yoga vein. I find that it's very frustrating when, for example, it might be just a method of sequencing and I do understand that and I get why it's taught that way, but take a a vinyasa framework where someone's maybe leading into a peak posture. It's just a way of sequencing and it's a beautiful way to sequence, but there's so much more than just going and building into a peak pose, even if in the physical body, it makes a lot of sense and it's safe and it's preparatory. And I think that's great. You know, you need to have those component parts. I, I, and I teach in that way too. 
but what I'm referring to is that when you get so analytical and stuck in that realm and you're trying to get somewhere, it takes you out of the moment in some ways, because even if the teacher's framework is set up correctly, it's still taking you out of the moment, having to memorize something to make sure that everything is hit. And I come from a, you know, perhaps from a nonverbal learning disorder background where I just feel and share and trust my knowledge in what I know and then not worry about where people are going because I know that I know enough where they're going to end up. And if they don't get there, it's not like it reflects less of me as a teacher. It just means that that's not the way it was meant to be. And I find that a lot of people get so caught up in like their music and their playlists. And that's fine if it's how they express themselves. Please do that. That's great. But how far do we go when we modernize yoga to a point where it's like the best playlist, the best peak pose, the best trendiness in how we cue or how fast we move, or, you know, we build a sequence up and we start slow. And then when we add onto the sequence in the next sequence, then we blaze through these postures with one breath when you don't even have any ability to actually plant your body, keep your nervous system in rest and digest and still build heat and build strength. And that's what my conflict is. It's like, I don't believe in pushing people and putting them into places of discomfort in a way where it's like, hold plank pose for two minutes and you're not going to come out of it, right? You know, if you're in a standing position, let's say like a warrior two, and if I'm teaching a hatha class, which is what I primarily teach in terms of more physical asana, yeah, I might hold students in a warrior two for a minute or more. And sure, that might feel extremely discomforting, but it doesn't register in the same way for me. And maybe it's the contrast of like having an upper body versus a lower body context. Because when you're weight bearing, then you're really putting yourself in such a fragile position, regardless of how strong you are in your upper body. Mm, yeah. Just kind of floating thoughts. But that's kind of where I resonate, how I see it in that way, perhaps. Um, and I think those that are looking for a physical practice and yoga is what that resonates with for them. That's great. I just feel that yoga and fitness need to be separate from each other. And, you know, as I kind of, I think I said this maybe in the other time we chatted with Sandy, I look at myself as a spiritual and mental, emotional or energetic fitness and wellness teacher, I guess. And um, I think that's something that people don't realize. They, they get the term mind and body, but I don't think people understand that yoga is a way of mentally training the brain to um, connect with the body as opposed to the body to connect with the mind. Mm -hmm. So it's more philosophical and kind of heady, but I find myself feeling lost and um, therefore even more clarified in when I surround myself with other teachers or other peers or other people um, that can sit, that are in the business or in the industry and what they talk about. I'm the odd guy that's left out because I just never connect with people. You know, it's like when you have people in maybe people that are very athletic, like in high school, and then you have the art kids, you have the drama kids, and you have these different cliques, you know, I don't need to be a part of a clique. I like not being part of one, but it's, it would be nice once in a while to find the encounter, let's say another teacher who's like in a similar vein or has a similar point of view to what you stand so firmly in and being in that minority from my experience so far in the city and without victimizing myself, sometimes I feel like it's such an uphill battle 
to be able to feel that sense of validity and recognition, not to be popular, but for the fact that I feel that what I'm offering is actually of need from other people when we're talking about it as a business, right? Whereas people will flock to a power class, they'll flock to a vinyasa, they'll flock to something that's flashy when people see relax, recover, rest, digest, move slowly, connect to yourself. People don't want to be vulnerable and deal with their own stuff. And so when I teach practices, that is what my practices are about without even being purposeful. And it does this the space that I hold. And perhaps mm-hmm. that level of vibration and self-confidence that I have worked hard from having the polar opposite, to be honest, makes it hard to be in an industry where there's so much of love and creativity to share from those perspectives where people just don't get it. And yet we're reliant on those spaces to support us if, it, if that's the path we wish to create. I think, um, well, it's a bummer that you feel like you're alone in this because I don't think that's the case. I know you have allies. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of the the really amazing woman that did, she teaches at Karma Teachers, some of the teacher trainings. Lucy St. John. Yes. Yeah, she's lovely. She's great. She's probably in your camp. Um, oh, totally. There are lots of allies for sure. Yeah, like I'm thinking like Mark Atherton. Um, mm-hmm. There's several. There's several. There's several. I think I think the voices, though, when they're not on your side, feel louder, right? Yeah, for sure they do. There's and yeah. there's lots of people that are in like that are in the same vein. I don't necessarily look at it as my my court, but more that are of a similar methodology or mindset um, that have grown or that naturally resonate with that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, what I find is again, without victimizing, because they can very easily be misinterpreted by in that way. I think that when it comes to our profession and it comes to our community and when it comes to people and like our job isn't to convince people or to um, persuade people to do something that we think is right and so forth. It's not. But I do think that it's because it's less represented and perhaps not talked about as much as yoga teachers or yoga professionals, like every human, we're living our own lives. We can't just stop for other people all the time and we can't always be there for each other. And I think perhaps that's part of the practice is that sense of uh, solitude and how that is actually probably the most yogic practice of all is being with yourself and to be connected to who you are, regardless of what's happening around you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I'll share your feelings of kind of feeling like you're not in a battle, but like, everyone is doing the opposite than you. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've gone through several of these yoga medicine trainings that have taught me so much more or given me such a better understanding of the body um, with respect to asana and how it traditionally was taught for for bodies that live in India, that people who sit on the floor every day and like their physical bodies are just so different. Mm-hmm. Um, and for coming over, teaching it, 
to North Americans or Westerners, wherever, people in general who just sit in chairs. So the, the body is quite different in where you have tension. Um, and seeing that these older ways of teaching asana don't work for the bodies that I have in my room, but most teachers are still cueing things a certain way and not seeing problem areas, not by any fault to that to them. It's it's they've been taught that way, right? So you take your teachings and you go on teaching them, but it's kind of just like through the grapevine, things have been missed, and um, it makes me really sad when people start to have injury or are feeling pain from yoga, the or the asana rather, and that's a practice where you're supposed to be healing, right? So I've walked into and in Vancouver, it was like, I felt so mm, like there was almost a defeated feeling after coming back from a training because I knew I was up against trying to re-cue people into postures in ways that other teachers don't do. So like they're coming to my class once in a while, I'm cueing it one way, I'm telling them why, and then they're going to another teacher and they're saying things that could put their body in harm if they're doing it with enough repetition um that would make me really anxious like that would <laughs> so i get that feeling of kind of like you versus the industry right totally it's exactly and, the same for sure yeah and i actually had a dream about it last night that's so funny that we're having this conversation that i was i was teaching this big class but then there was another teacher in the room and we both had headsets. I don't know why. Um, and like I was queuing, but then she was queuing too. And I was having to run over and be like, don't listen to her. <laughs> <laughs> like put people in plank and then they're already like going into up dog. I'm like, no, that's not where I'm going. Like, I'm going to tell you something. Listen. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. But that's like how I felt in my classes sometimes that people would just go through the motions without mindfulness of where they are in that moment or what comes next, you know, like you, we are creatures of habit and we like to, especially physically, like we learned one thing, we kind of, we go and we could do that thing again. And I've caught myself several times in a class going one step ahead of where a teacher's going. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I definitely share your feeling for kind of wanting to do something different and it being extremely challenging. For sure. And I'm grateful for the fact, you know, for this year that I had the ability to stand in my my ethics and my values and to actually give up everything that I had worked so hard for as a visible teacher in the community and rising against some um, adversity and how what I view, what I view is a keyword as discrimination for um, things that I can't change about myself, which I'll leave at that. And to sit with that and to not let my fear and anxiety of doing the, the bold, I guess, to uh, determine what I do or don't do for my well-being when it eventually was really affecting my overall health. And so this calendar year has been really uh, poignant in the way that I've been able to stick to what I know that I love and to find a way to keep doing what I love in a formation that actually is going to set me up for uh, longevity and success. So with being able to teach, you know, even two classes a week right now versus 20, 
knowing the places that I'm in right now and where I feel, you know, like all humans want to be felt, loved, seen, accepted, I think are the four. I think, I think so. Uh, it gives you that reminder, you know, even yesterday I covered a couple classes at a rec center I now teach for, and I haven't felt more at home and more accepted and appreciated ever in my entire seven odd years of teaching. And it reminds you that there are those times when you feel the way you need to feel in the process about this conflict, whatever the conflict is that you might be having as a human or as a teacher, but given this context of feeling like I'm not these self-limiting beliefs that, you know, I'm not a fitness yoga teacher or I'm not a vinyasa or power oriented teacher, though I might teach those styles when required and so forth. That doesn't equate to your ability to be successful or any of the other um, terms to also be successful. It just might require a different path, a different direction and finding the small amount of individuals that are in those abilities to provide you those opportunities to shine. And in some ways, that's actually the beautiful thing about this practice. And what I have been going through in the last year and a bit is to know that when you hit that point of feeling that whether you think you're alone or not, but you feel you are, those are the moments when you really dive deep and you acquire the strengths and the power that has always been with inside of you to then get back up, roll out your mat, metaphorically speaking, and do your practice. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, you've definitely been on quite the journey the last uh, year and a bit. And I agree with you, like those, sometimes those smaller classes, those classes in the weird places at the weird times, not your studio five o'clock. I also like, personally, I'm in my thirties. I don't want to teach in the evening. I know Sandy crushes these evening classes. She's, she's a little energy ball. Like, I don't, I honestly don't even want to be there. (laughs) If I want to, if I'm not there, I want to be like in the class, but yeah, yeah. it's just like where I am in my life right now. But like, I loved one of my morning classes in Vancouver, I'd get like, there'd always be like these, usually there's like 10 people. And so like, 10 people that regularly kind of shifted in and out and you'd get usually five to 10. Yeah. Again, super small studio. Um, loved that class. I got paid the worst and I loved it the most. It doesn't matter because everyone was, it was more of a community and they actually would give you feedback and say, Oh, thank you for sharing that this morning. Or I really like this movement we did or this pose. I haven't felt it in my body that way. And like as a yoga teacher, yeah, you see those pictures on Instagram of big pack studios and fancy poses. And I mean, it's so not what it's about. No. If you, if you can shift like one person's perspective, not, not like to a certain thing, but just the way they think or feel about themselves in any way, physically, mentally, spiritually, that's our job as a yoga teacher. Yeah. I think you said it exactly word for word and it's interesting i wonder how people in gyms feel about having yoga classes 
because it's kind of like the opposite, right? Like maybe they're having the opposite conversation. I have taught at gyms too. And um, our mutual friend Kayla, she taught a class at a gym forever and I'd go sub for her all the time. And they're a wonderful bunch of people. There was a guy there that was like 82, just crushing it. I loved him. Oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was so great. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder if like people in gyms are like, hey, this is fitness. It's not yoga. We shouldn't have yoga here. I kind of wonder. I feel like they don't because I feel like they just, the people that think that just don't go into class, but right. I wonder if those thoughts are there. Well, I like that you bring that up because when I started teaching and many Vancouver yoga teachers that are listening to this right now, hi, yogis, will say that they started volunteer teaching at the YMCA uh, Robert Lee on Burrard Street downtown. And I don't know if new teachers are still using it as a resource, but for me, that's where I learned so much, not only just as a technical teacher, but also as on the non-technical side as well. And the students that were there, and of course you're always gonna have the wackos in class that you're like, okay, I just can't be bothered, you do your thing a lot of the people were super connected and vibed off of what you were sharing and they were just happy to be there and they were actually a lot more studious and respectful and and conscientious of you than any other big shot studio whether if it's you know a single location or a chain or something that has a certain sense of identification that it think that it needs to uphold you walk into like a ymca or something that's in a similar kind of idea and it's actually the most spiritual environment even if what's happening around it is like people are on equipment or dropping weights from the floor above you and you're like okay this is so not a peaceful environment and yet somehow it actually becomes the most spiritual environment. So I agree with you on that because sometimes gym environments or fitness environments or even corporate environments being said may not feel yogic, whatever that means, you know, in the traditional sense of the word. However, that doesn't actually equal one being the other, I think. I think it really depends on the space and the people that fill it. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I loved my corporate classes when I had them. Um, and I might go that way again here in Victoria. That might just be what works for me, like working a full-time job. I've spoken to a couple people in my building that figured out I'm a yoga teacher. Um, and, I, and I'm and i thinking also of not calling it yoga. I'm thinking of calling it mindfulness and something else. Right. Um, just because just that's kind of what it is. Like if I go corporate, I also don't teach a ton of traditional yoga stuff I, I just well like I bring attention and awareness and some space to their body and their mind call that yoga call that not yoga but I'm not teaching um a yama or a niyama or something like that right. um but I love those classes and th those people I was I was there before in a super stressful job I'm in a job now which is much less stressful but I'm still staring at a computer all day and I my body feels different and I know when people take that time, like they really make an effort to take that time and be there, whether it's at lunch or afterwards. Uh, and they're, they're just so sweet and they're so grateful. Like, and often I've I experienced several times teaching a more physical practice. Like, you know how you teach what you're feeling. So when I'm feeling super strong, um, I would teach a, a more challenging class. Um, I would always give a really good cool down and everything. I'm not one of those teachers, but, and then sometimes people would give me feedback like, Oh, I could have like, that was hard today. Like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like 
next class that's noted like we'll do less and sometimes i'd walk in and be like do you guys want to do yin yoga and they're like what's that and like okay let's do yin yoga right and they're like that's super cool i like that right well with corporate one of the classes that i do teach that i actually did start teaching that has stayed with me for over a year now um is in a corporate office and every corporate culture is totally different um, and those of you that are listening that do primarily or even have experimented with corporate yoga environments will know what Nat and I are talking about. Um, and these people, you know, even this is a good example, like I don't own usually when mm-hmm. and I might, and I teach yin and gentle practices because it's at a 5 p.m. time and there's not a lot of people, but they show up religiously every week and that's what they want. You know, and it's super in the physical body. But at the same time, I barely say anything. And I just hold space because if you have people that are working at offices and that are at a computer, like you said, and they're strained, the last thing they necessarily want to be hearing is a ton of direction. They just need to, you just want to make sure that they know you're there and that you're keeping them safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just giving them some space to roll around the floor and stretch things out. And then they're kind of thinking about their day when they're in there. And then maybe they can start to slow down their mind and take a couple of deep breaths and detach from it and not bring it home. Like that's, that's good enough. That's amazing. Totally, totally. Yeah. And even though some environments might call for different conduct or your uh, frameworks, you can still like I'm all for adaptation. I don't think it's on. I don't think it's healthy if we can't adapt to a certain degree. Uh, but to fake something that isn't authentic, even if the people we are sharing it with, maybe they don't even realize it. Maybe they're not awake or conscious or alert enough. That's when we need to be aware of the fact of what do we call something? Is it fitness? Is it yoga? Is it movement? Is it just just come? <laughs> don't call it anything. Just show up and we'll do stuff. Uh, I think that the industry is in a place that is very much where yoga and fitness is muddled. And therefore, even people saying movement, I think is great. And then if people describe a class to be yoga, then be more descriptive than a single word. You know, you could say this is a dynamic, active practice. This is a slow static and use really informative language so that way it takes away the context or the description of what or the association i guess of what we think something is and perhaps if people provide that on a more global spectrum it can also increase the visibility for people to be more free in their sharing of the practice and how they see it while also not misleading those that are coming to support you and also support the business that they might be coming to practice into. Yeah, that's great. I I agree with like things getting a little bit more clear on what you're getting when you're coming to a class. Um, So essentially what you're saying is you do appreciate all types, all, all types of the physical practice, but if we've lost the stream of mindfulness, if we're no longer teaching any amount of attention or mindfulness or awareness, then we've then we've lost it. Then we're then we're in the fitness category. Yeah, I think so. 
and I think it's also just energetically, even if someone might be different from someone else, I think it's the intention, how you set space, how you connect to people, the pace of your class, the way you hold the entire atmosphere, and also the way that you, uh, the approach, right? The tone, the approach, the, the very nonverbal subtleties that create a more yoga-oriented environment. Because I enjoy taking classes that might be more physically minded. And I just say, okay, this is what I'm signing myself up for. I've chosen to do that. Great. I think that partially we can't control that. If we're trained and educated a certain way, and that's our own experience, and that is authentic and what we're sharing. And if that does mean a more active, faster, less breath-centered practice, sure, there's always a teacher for every student. I firmly believe that. It's just be aware of what you're calling something and what you're promoting it to be when potentially it may actually not be that at all when you look at it and you take it apart. Mm -hmm. It's more that. I think the teachers that are also teaching these extremely vigorous classes, um, again, they kind of lose, lose the mindfulness aspect except for maybe like a five-minute shavasana at the end i mean that's not that's not that doesn't quite do it if you're doing that after a really really intense class but there's no threading in of mindfulness awareness or some teaching some intention they they're there at that place because they're probably friggin' confused like they're probably just really confused as to how to teach that stuff and they're good at the physical so they teach what they're good at mm-hmm. um and you know when like you mirror your teachers to some degree at some point in your teaching career so maybe they're kind of mirroring what they were taught physically but they're missing out on the other parts and it's it's not necessarily like they're trying to take the yoga out of the asana but it's just and and it's also that competitiveness like that feeling of competitiveness in these studios where you know, people are like, oh, so-and-so is such a great teacher. And you just hear that stuff. It's just around you. And you're aware of like what classes are more intense. And one person says they like it. And you're like, okay, well, all the people in that class like that teacher. That kind of crap going on in people's heads, which might escalate um, these extremely physical classes or, or less mindful classes. Right. And I think in addition to what you were describing in that way, it's the and again as i like to say like we're not saints yogi is a very uh challenging term or maybe a title to represent if people don't see you as that but what i'm getting at is the fact that when you step into this profession and you step into this act of service of uh sharing a practice I'm a firm believer that you, as best as you can without being a robot and without being perfect, represent yourself as you do on your mat, as you do off the mat. Yes, that does not mean not having boundaries. That doesn't mean not having your own ethics and values. Of course, that's the root of before even the asana practice comes into the picture. What I mean is that there are so many times where teachers are, whether it's just who they are, and that's great, and maybe they're more private, 
but maybe from someone like myself that is very kind of loving and arms wide open and at the same time very critical and extremely harsh on the other end of the spectrum i find that's what i'm referring to as well is how do you share and show up in your own life and how does that show up in your practice and that is what your students therefore receive before anything even happens physically does that make sense yeah that makes sense yeah a lot of people i don't think a lot of people represent that and people might be hearing this and be like hero you are a bitch hero you have no idea what the (laughs) hell you are talking about you're egotistical you are a victim say whatever you want i really am comfortable enough with myself to hear or to not hear what people think or feel that's great but because of what i'm saying i feel that a lot of the inconsistencies that come from this practice that we call yoga comes from the person themselves whether they are conscious of that or not and therefore it reflects in their teaching style what they've been taught and how they connect with the people that they serve. Yeah, I agree with you partially on that. Um, And probably because I'm a product or my teachings, let me, how do I want to say this? My teachings, ugh, let me go back, delete, delete, edit. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think the way I was influenced and my teachings would change studio to studio, class to class, because of the pressure that's kind of what i was talking about because of the pressure that i felt from the studio so if i taught in the bigger more corporate studios with all the students kind of being not all the students a select number of students having strong opinions and voicing them about what teach what what your teacher should be offering i it affected how i taught so some studios i taught a certain way not like completely different to how I taught, but it would just like there was just enough of it that it I felt like anxiety going into most of those classes in the in the bigger bigger corporate chains. Um, and then at the small smaller studios, I could just way more be myself, like walk in there feeling way different. And same with corporate. So I think like maybe what we're seeing in those larger studio chains or where your the pressure is put on you to fill your classes or have people like your classes, which is also not something that's necessary. Yoga is not necessarily something you're going to like mm-hmm. right off the bat. Um, that will just change. I think that changes how people teach. So it's it's not, it's like partially themselves, like the, the teacher and what they're practicing, but they're working through like, how do I deal? How do I teach? Be myself. Please, people above me, please the people in the classroom and please myself someone's someone's gonna lose until you really 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 figure it out yeah and i fully agree with you on that as well and i think it's a really beautiful um counterpart to my to what i just said as well you know and i think it's a lot of pressure on people and it takes a lot out of somebody no matter where their identity is to then be relevant and to also be marketable and to be still authentic, but be authentic in the way that they need to be, to be where they are, but also provide the surface as they go from space to space. And I really admire people that can be like that because I'm humble. I'm humble enough to say that that's never been who I am and I never will be that way. And so I think it's a interesting perspective to know that 
there are people or many people that are able to do that and they're being authentic. And perhaps that's a, an area of development for me or also just accepting that we're all different and whatever way we show up in the world is how we're, we're doing our, the best that we can each day. Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge takeaway too. Like no one's a bad person in this game. We're all just trying. And like I said before, like on our path somewhere, trying to figure it out. Unfortunately, the dollar signs really screw things up. Yep. <laughs> yep. They sure did. No matter what currency. Yep, exactly. Okay. Well, I think we will wrap it up because we're just passing the hour mark. Um, is there anything else you wanted to finish with? I think it was a really great conversation. Yeah, it was a great conversation. And I value the the authentic, authenticity to share different thoughts and, and perspectives on things, regardless of agreement or disagreement or indifference. And thank you for having me on your podcast again and for the ability to bring these different concepts to people's awareness if they choose to listen to it. And it's all from a place of love and no from any place of harm. But I think it's important for people to be honest, regardless if people connect to it or not. And to know that every opinion is valid, regardless if it's a resonance or not as well. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, it was so great to have you on and chat again. This was literally how Sandy and I started the podcast. We would, I'd call her and we'd talk for an hour about stuff like this. We just started, started to decide like, hey, we should put some ideas together and maybe other people want to listen to us talking about yoga. Totally. <laughs> so it's great. It's perfect. Um, hopefully we can share this with some teachers specifically in Vancouver and Victoria too to just maybe get opinions. If anyone is feeling like this, I feel like a lot of teachers do, please reach out to myself or Sandy. Um, you can DM us on our Instagram, Nat and Sandy Yoga, and also to Hero because Hero, I mean, if you're in Vancouver, Hero will go have a coffee with you uh, or tea. He would, I know I, you've done that with me. I know you would love to meet up with like-minded people and just chat and have that companionship for, for our struggles. Um, and we will link up to episode 17 that Hero was on. We'll link up to his website and his Instagram so you guys can get at him easily. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks a lot. And great. always reach out to me. I will never, ever censor myself if you ever need an honest opinion. Yeah, he's always, he's always on it. You guys can definitely reach out to him. Okay. Thank you so much and have a great Thanks day. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.